Hey, good morning, everybody. Thanks for being here. Glad to see everyone. This morning is an Ask It service, pretty special service that we do at the end of the series usually, where um, you'll get a chance to uh, pose questions to Bill and Miss Dion. Um, and so looking forward to all those great questions that we're going to get and some great answers we're going to get to. So we're going to go ahead and get started for our service. We'll go ahead and pray, okay? God, thank you so much for bringing us again this morning into your presence, into your life, um, you being our life and the true source of our, uh, our understanding, our knowledge, our wisdom. Um, we know those things come from you. Those things come from studying your word. Those things come from understanding who you are through your revelation, through creation, and through discussion of the, the doctrines surrounding you which come from those revelations, and we know that we are communing with you by the Holy Spirit, that, we, that, uh, that Spirit testifies with our spirit, and we're able to have some glimpse into an incomprehensible God and gain some understanding this morning through this questions and answers uh, segment. So we just pray that you open our hearts up to uh, what's going to be presented, that you give us good questions to ask, and that you give Bill and Dion the wisdom to present your eternal truth to us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Good morning, everybody. Um, good morning to our online family. So thank you all for joining us. Uh, yes, this is one of our favorite times, um, being able to do Ask It messages. We had a great time last night. We're going to be um, asking different questions because we got quite a few and didn't get through all of them. Um, so I know a few of our folks came back this morning and some are joining online for their second round for their second serving. Yeah. Um, so we're going to go ahead and just dive in cause this is just fun stuff. Um, and I always have a hard time picking which question to do first, a hard one or, or an easy one. Easy. Easy. Okay. <laughs> um, hard. hard thanks. <laughs> thanks friends. All right. All right. Um, okay. Let's start off with, um, we're going to do a parenting one. How heavily should parents be involved in their child's life? Faith, school, friends, that kind of stuff. It, the, how involved should parents be? Totally. Total control is my thing. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Kids are not allowed to have one thought. No. no. Uh, <laughs> Beat them Here, first thing it, in the morning. No, sorry. We are commanded as parents to be fully engaged, to protect them from the false teachings that's coming at them at a rate, and, and, and it's like a wave going across the younger generations of false teachings and, uh, you know, humanism and, and sexual freedom. Uh, all of these doctrines are coming at them. Parents need to be fully engaged with them. And now I, even to the extent that I encourage where at all possible homeschool because if you look at secular education, it is, it is really challenging right now. Uh, but if, you, if they go to a public school, be fully informed and know what doctrines, and I mean doctrines of the religion of humanism that's being taught to them 32 hours a week so that you can uh, come up against those. Also fully engaged to the point where the false teaching today is that kids don't really need discipline because they're really good underneath. Experienced parents just gave a big groan. Uh, 
Kids are sinners, like us. And they, they need structure and discipline to teach them how to love God, live life successfully in this world. Uh, and I could go on and on, but I encourage you, if you have any questions about educational options, please uh, uh, talk to myself. I see uh, Brian that came up that, that did the announcements. His wife runs a homeschool here at Crossroads. As a matter of fact, we have two homeschools meeting here at Crossroads, and we would have five if anyone else wanted to teach here. Uh, we've got some meeting in homes also uh, from, from Crossroads. Nick and Kelsey, his wife, run a school. Uh, they'd be glad to talk to you. Uh, so how involved should you be? Absolutely every aspect of their life. And is it over-controlling? Yes. That's your job. Uh, until such time as they, they come to know Christ, uh, then you're there. Okay, was that? Yeah. I could yeah. be hardcore, but I thought, I thought I'd take it easy on parents. <laughs> well, I mean, it's, it, it, I know one of the things that God taught me, because I was talking to a friend the other day, that um, in the subject of parenting, my husband and I were learning how to be Christians at the same time trying to teach our kids. And so the, the huge fear was that I was going to destroy my children. Um, but in Deuteronomy 6, and this, is, and this is what God taught me, and it was so powerful, that in Deuteronomy 6, um, verses, I'm going to start with 5, and it goes 5 through 9, you must love the, and this is God's command to us as, you know, as parents, love the Lord your God with your whole mind, your whole being, and all your strength. These words I am commanding you today must be kept in mind, and you must teach them to your children and speak of them as you sit in your house, as you walk along the road, as you lie down, as you get up. You should tie them as a reminder on your forearm and fasten them as symbols on your forehead. I mean, we don't have to, like, strap them to our kid's head. <laughs> but, like you were saying, in every possible way, yep. and I know that one of the struggles that I went through that I know a lot of parents go through is the idea that, because it is totally countercultural for a parent to parent like this. Yeah. You're talking, teaching them God's ways every possible opportunity that you have. And you're, you'll be maybe worried that you're overdoing it, and, you know, but you're not. Because at the end of the day, as parents, we have to answer to God about what we did as parents. Um, but for me, it was always a struggle of, you know, how... The, how much, how, how much freedom do we give our kids even as Christians? And that is a very, that is a huge challenge and can also sometimes be detrimental to our kids and our families if we're not following God's word. So, yes. yeah, sometimes it means saying no when all their friends are doing this, that, or the other. Or, yeah. So, but yeah. yes, like Bill said, if you need, if you want to talk, we'll talk. Cause as you can see, I don't have any passion behind this at all either. Yeah. <laughs> No, it's, it is the issue. We have 60 graduating classes have been taught humanism right in their face. We are down to under 30, uh, age 30, it's 1% biblical Christians. Under 20, it's zero. Think about that. Zero. Parents need, it's not statistically measurable. That, that isn't a grim warning to every parent. Mm -hmm. yep. I don't know what else I can do. Yeah, so, okay. I can tear my hair out and do something, but <laughs> it's done. <laughs> <laughs> okay.
Um, okay, here's another fun one. What does the Bible say about tattoos? Tattoos, yes. Tattoos. Because I know almost probably how many... I Don't show it. Don't, 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 don't. It doesn't don't. matter, but we know a lot of people... We know yeah. a lot of people we love have tattoos. Yeah. Uh, the Bible really says only one thing, and it talks about back in pagan worship. It says, do not tattoo your skin for pagan worship. So... Uh, I'm, I'm not a, this is not a doctrinal issue, it's not a salvation issue, this is a personal choice issue. If, if, if God leads you to glorify Him in your body, and remember it's His body, with a tattoo, get a tattoo. I thought I was, I, someone told me that I could actually get hair tattooed on. <laughs> I was seriously considering it for a while. No, I, it's not a doctrinal issue, but it is a personal issue between you and God because you are now making a statement. Make it a godly statement. Now, what about the folks who had tattoos pre-Christ? Yeah. And maybe some of their tattoos are not so God-glorifying. Yeah. Uh, I've got a friend of mine who's got in exactly that situation. He says it's a great opportunity to testify. Because <laughs> he'll talk and he'll say, well, look, this is me before. And, and point at it and say, this was me before, but I'm a new creature in Christ now. So, yes, you can use them for a positive witness because we do have a transformed life. Uh, some people go to the extent of erasing them and, and taking them away and, and, or over-inking them with something else, uh, whatever God leads you to do. So... Uh, it's not the focus. God looks at our heart and what's in there. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Okay, cool. That's, by the way, everything, everything before Christ was before Christ. I mean, let me just say that again. Everything that was before Christ is before Christ. People that have gone through divorces, uh, abortions, all of these other things. This is B.C. We're radically transformed by the power of Christ. Uh, Woohoo! <laughs> <laughs> all right. Um, okay, it says here um, on the text phone, and we've got a lot of texts coming in here. In John 20, verse 7, um, it states that Jesus folded the, sh the, cl uh, the cloth that was covering his head yep. um, in the tomb. Is there a significant reason why the napkin that was on his head was folded and laid aside by itself? Yeah, uh, that's an interesting question, but a fun question. Uh, it, it's no big deal. You go into the tomb, and there's this, everything else laying around down there, and they just had some supposed scientific discoveries on the Shroud of Turin, which was supposed to have covered Christ. It's in the news today. Uh, but leaving that aside, a folded napkin had a specific meaning uh, at the time when Christ was on earth. When Christ was on earth and you went to a banquet, you got up to leave, to go to the restroom, to go talk to some people, and if you took your napkin and just threw it on the table, that tells the servers that you're done. So they'll come and pick up all your food and, and everything else and clean it up. But if you fold it neatly, that means I'm coming back. Huh. He's coming back. Hmm. And that was just one more... <laughs> But, I, you know, oddly enough, I just read that the other day, too, and yeah. I, I did not ask that question. But, yeah, that is really cool. That's really, he's coming back. And, by the way, sooner than we think. Sooner yeah. than we think. Fun, fun. 
Um, okay, let's see. Um, okay, so we have baptism coming up. Uh, so a question that came in is, how often should we be baptized, or is one time all we need? One and done? Uh, well, first off, just quickly, and we'll, we're going to do a message on it next week. So if you listen to what I'm about to say, you don't have to come. <laughs> Wrong. Uh, <laughs> there's three kinds of baptism. There's a baptism in the Spirit. There's a baptism uh, in water. And there's a baptism into Christ. And let's start with the easy one that starts it all. A baptism into Christ is, as we'll explain, is, is a spiritual baptism when, in the word I said it a couple of weeks ago at Easter, baptism means buried, dead, risen to a new life. When, when we are spiritually baptized into Christ, according to uh, Romans 6, we've been baptized into Christ, we've been baptized into his death, and we're raised to a new life. That's, that's the baptism that saves. That's the spiritual reality of our old self dying by our choice and a new life, Christ's life in us. I've been, I'm going to change, let me just give you the scripture. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. I've been baptized into Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Uh, I think we're, Jesus was baptized into, okay, here you go. Uh, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ have been baptized into his death? We're very uh, buried, uh, therefore, uh, with him by baptism into death in order just as Christ was raised from the dead to the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. One of the big mistakes Christians make is that they just think that becoming a Christian is just, oh, I, I said a prayer, I'm good. No, we die. But thanks for finding that verse, Ty. Uh, this baptism in, into Christ is what saves. Okay, let's go on to the next one. Baptism into water is just a public proclamation that we have been baptized into Christ because no one sees. No one knew when I became a Christian. It, it just, it happened. Uh, I started to be changed. I, I say this all the time. My mother and my wife wondered who stole their old bill because uh, it was a new deal. Over a period of time, I transformed. But spiritually, it was not known. I had a water baptism. It was one of the most dismal experiences of my life. It was a short, stocky, squat, Baptist uh, uh, chaplain on the base that put me under and barely got me up. So, uh, <laughs> nothing against Baptist or short, squatty chaplains. Uh, but that was water baptism. I just was showing the people around me what had happened on the inside. Now, there's also a teaching called a baptism of the Holy Spirit, which uh, is a doctrinal issue that goes in certain churches and not in other churches. Uh, they believe in a second experience with the Holy Spirit. We all know that we're sealed with the Holy Spirit. When we're raised in Christ, we're raised with Christ and the Holy Spirit in us. Uh, some, the Pentecostal and the Charismatic denominations will say that sometime later you can have a second experience with the Holy Spirit. Uh, my the scripture on that is to be constantly filled with the Holy Spirit. If there's a subsequent experience and you have it, thank God. But each Christian should be continuously filled by the Spirit by opening our heart and asking God to come into us through His Word, through serving, through anything else. Just come in, fill me, Spirit. Um, 
So those are, that's baptism. Okay. Um, let's see. I'm going to refer, go to the reference I think that the person is uh, referring to in Matthew 18.10. Um, it says that, see that you do not disdain one of these little ones, for I tell you that their angels in heaven always see the face of my Father in heaven. So the question is, um, because they say we're all assigned an angel at birth, but what happens to the angels if a person turns evil, it says, or sells their soul? What if, what if they don't follow God, I guess? They get another job. <laughs> <laughs> they get resigned. <laughs> the, again, the, if they put that up, the, the idea of all of us, you know, children having an angel in heaven. We're told when someone comes to Christ, the angels in heaven rejoice and dance. Are angels real? Absolutely. How many of them are there? More than we can count. Multitudes upon multitudes of angels. What are they? They are not human beings that have gone to heaven and by their works or somehow they're now angels. Uh, angels are spiritual beings. The word means messenger that's being sent out. So God sends them for multiple purposes. Uh, does a child have a specific angel? It seems to indicate that. Mine probably was fired uh, <laughs> when I was 32. Uh, could have hung on one more year. You'd have made it. Uh, but uh, the question of what happens when someone, er, heaven, when someone doesn't accept Christ, heaven weeps. Just as they rejoice over one sinner being saved, they rejoice tears, sorrow over a child that rebels, an adult that rebels. Yes, I'm speaking to some of you here. Please. You know, again, this angelic beings that uh, you can read Ephesians 6. It talks about powers and all these other things of heaven. Uh, angels, uh, there's a spiritual reality out there. And they're fully involved with what's going and fully aware of what's going on down here. Uh, yeah. Okay. I don't, you know, don't know anything more than that other than, yeah. So what would you say then to, because there's a lot of extra biblical books and resources on angels. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, for me, it's like, I think there, there's two that we have named in the Bible between Michael and Gabriel. I mean, they're just two named. Do we know that? Mike all, and Gabe. Mike I and should Gabe. know him. Yeah. <laughs> um, so what is, what is the pros and cons of looking deeper into angels? Angelology. I made that up kind of cool. <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> Angelology is sweeping our culture. There's even a book out where someone was recording messages from angels and put, writing them down. And in my opinion, reading most of them, they're bogus. Because at some point, in, if you go into the books, they violate scripture. They, they tell you to do something that's not biblical. That's not an angel. That's not God's messenger being sent to us. So we have to be very careful. Angels are active and involved in Hebrews. They'll say, some of us have had dinner with an angel. We've entertained them and uh, angels, we were unaware of it taking place. So angels are moving in and around us. But some of the, everything that you think comes from an angel, you, before you do any ownership, you better find it in Scripture. Mm -hmm. 
whatever they're telling you, inferring, or anything else. Some of these messages that are coming from angels, and, and it's almost impossible to read any Christian news source in any given day like I did this morning and not see angels popping up and people hearing from them. Remember who the king of the angels is. Satan. And one-third of the demons left with Satan, and they are still angels, and they're still active in this world. So angels is when you go into the spiritual world, you better have your Jesus on. Because the deceptions that are flowing through our country right now around false teachings and building all sorts of stuff. And if you look at two major, the two fastest re growing religions in this world were both started from a false message from an angel. Islam and Mormonism. Be careful. Mm -hmm. Okay, so, so in fact it could be from Satan, if obviously. Yeah. Um, and so on that note, one of the questions that came in was that when we pray and seek an answer, how can we tell if it's from God versus Satan? Um, if we don't like the answer from God, sometimes we say, no, that was from Satan. But what if it was actually from God? <laughs> um, so again, it's like, how do we discern sometimes when we're praying yep. and uh, getting an answer, whether it's yes, no, or not yet? Yeah. How do we know if it's from God or Satan? Can Satan answer prayers? Pardon? Can Satan answer prayers? Well, he, yeah. He, he knows us. He knows our weaknesses and our strengths. But the main, the main answer to that is very simple. My sheep know my voice. Jesus says that his sheep know his voice. When, when I feel that God, I sense a leading from God, there's a, there's, a, there's a familiarity that's there that's comforting. And I'm not saying that that's, I'm a super spiritual dude or, or you can be a super dudette, whatever. But there's a relationship we have with God. It's funny, my wife and I go to a market and, and she gets into an area and she's over there. And I, I say, hun, and I don't say it loud, but she knows that word that I'm trying to get her attention. Hey, Ronnie, over there. No, hun. And she'll turn around and, and stick her tongue out at me and do what she's doing. But <laughs> 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 not really, just kidding. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life. No one can snatch them. I love it. Out of my hand. Is given to me is greater than me. Uh, this knowing Jesus' voice is a huge deal. Now, the real voice, and this is a voice that's built up over time through checking everything out through Scripture, because obviously there's other spiritual forces that are talking into our life. Satan is the great imitator. But we know the voice. And so if, you're not, if we're not building a relationship where we're actually interacting and, and talking to God, and more importantly, listening for God to speak to us, because he does speak. He is speaking, currently and ongoing. He's always communicating. Sometimes, you know, it's special to us, and, but anyway, so, yeah, know his voice, and you do that by Scripture and bearing witness in your heart. Because if you've got Christ's heart in you and the Holy Spirit in you, we've got an affirmation that this message is from him. 
But we only have that, we don't have that with an arm length relationship. I can say, and I, don't pass this on, I can say hun to a hundred women, only one better turn around. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> um, I, that totally just blew out what I was going to ask you. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. Um, oh man. Bugger. Okay. Well, if it's meant to be asked, it'll come back. Um, <laughs> so, okay. So the... Here's a, here's here's a next, here's another question. Um, what is the difference between teaching someone about the gospel as a witness and teaching the gospel as a preacher would in the pulpit? James three one says, "Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly." Yeah. Uh, the word preaching there is a, a, a word in, in the Greek which is evangel, it's evangelical, it's, speak, it's, it's the evangelical is speaking the good news. In other words, it's preaching is telling people about the good news of Jesus Christ. And so it says a lot, not many of you become teachers. Now teachers is a, is, is a different word. That's a spiritual gift of teaching and, and passing on information. Don't just, and that is something that that is a natural gift that flows out of you. And it doesn't always come in this environment, teaching. Matter of fact, it rarely comes in this. Normally it comes a, a verse of a gift of teaching over a cup of coffee, over a soda, over a meal sometimes, talking and interacting and, and, and sharing truth with someone else in relationship with them. Uh, that's... Jesus said, I knock at the door very hard. If you open it, he will come in and have a meal with us and talk with us. So when I, I, I don't want to get off the point that what they're asking is that, yes, there's a caution. When you tell someone something spiritual, when you become a teacher to someone else, have your act together. Be very careful to not be passing on tidbits and expressions your grandfather or grandmother or someone taught you on the knee when it no biblical foundation to it. Um, so uh, don't, don't grab the title of teacher. As a matter of fact, Jesus was very clear, no titles. He says, don't call anyone teacher. Don't call them rabbi. Don't call them pastor. That's why I'm Bill. Much to the chagrin of some of you parents, I agree. Uh, but it's, we're just brothers and sisters in Christ. And that's what Jesus said in Matthew 23. So uh, the exalting of people up and go, whoa, he, we're just sinners struggling with different gifts and sharing them. And I'm getting way off topic. But uh, yeah, share with other people, context of relationship. Remember, without a word being spoken, we're always preaching Jesus by attitude and actions and lifestyle. Just be careful. So don't call yourself a Christian quote unquote, put yourself in the teacher position unless you're living it. That was, that was, um, that was a good harsh ending. I thought well, that was perfect. Right, yeah. right. So I actually, can we put James 3 back up? Um, because I think I, as I was looking at it in context, you know, if we leave it where it says not many of you should become teachers because you will be cut, uh, judged more strictly, James goes on to talk about the power of the tongue. 
and what we say. Um, so is he, is he also maybe focused, you know, trying to focus this in on the fact that um, not so much a practice what you preach, but, you know, there's so many times, and I'm not, you know, condemning or judging anybody because I think we all, we all struggle with this, but we, um, so let's say go to work and everybody at work knows we're a Christian and we go to such and such church and do this, that, or the other, but then we're overheard gossiping about so-and-so and saying things like that. Um, is that also what James is referring to? It's all of the above. The tongue, how great a forest fire could be set afire by a small fire. Uh, the tongue is a flame. Uh, one of the things, and I just read James, uh, as a matter of fact, this morning in my reading through, and I, I have in there just, it's so not, I talk too much. I do, and I, I, I would love to be able to listen more. But I have said some things that have wounded people deeply. All of us have. And I grieve over that, and I, I want to guard my tongue in, in words that I speak. And so anyway, yes. <clears throat> okay. Um, okay, now, on kind of on the subject of teachers, this is going to be kind of a rough one. It's potentially on some people's minds. Um, I don't necessarily want to call anybody out, but it is very public. The current and ongoing situation with Hillsong. Yep. Um, probably not everybody, maybe not everybody is aware of the situation. And again, and I'm okay. not trying to dog on them, but it is just an example kind of what we were talking about with James 3. Um, you know, for a lot of churches and stuff maybe, or people who enjoyed listening to their messages or other churches similarly, um, when things happen and their pastors or worship leaders and people are in the headlines for a variety of sins, public and, and private, um, how do we respond to that? How do we respond as a church? Do we support them? Do we continue to... What do we do with that as a church and as individuals? For those of you who aren't familiar with Hillsong, it's a, it is, and Hillsong United is a, is a denominational church that spread around the world quickly, came out of Australia. Uh, great music at times. Uh, doctrine is sketchy at best, the foundational doctrine of Hillsong. Uh, some of my favorite singers, and some of them have come out. Uh, Brooke, with a name I can't pronounce, has left there and started a church in California not a Hillsong church. A lot of their pastors have gone south, but let's just set that aside. Uh, we have watched for decades sexual abuse in the church, whether it's the Catholic church or the Protestant church, whether it's Boy Scouts, whether, whatever it may be. We have seen uh, people under the name of Christ using that position to sexually exploit other people. They're not Christians. It's just that simple. Now, how do we know that up front? Doctrine starts to go south. When, when someone is elevated, I mentioned earlier, don't elevate the leaders. When they get elevated and they lose that area of accountability, when they're not sharing and, and moving in accountability with elders and other people around them and they become invincible to the other, no one will confront them. And this is, they're, they're falling left and right. It's just not Hillsong. You start looking and you start reading Christian news and Christians are really good about throwing out 
you know, uh, people's names, but so is the secular press. We look terrible. We look terrible in the eyes of those people who look at Christianity. Yeah, that's Christianity. And this responsibility of leaders, how do we, how do we respond to it? We join the angels in heaven and we weep. We weep over their souls as they have indicated, and I have no way to judge hearts, that they're heading for hell. And they're taking tens of thousands and actually culturally millions and maybe around the world billions of people with them. Whether it's false teaching extra to Christianity or in Christianity that we focus on. Check everyone out. Hold them accountable. I say this all the time. Don't believe the old bald guy. If you hear something that's wrong that I say, or specifically Dion, uh, <laughs> be sure to tell us. That's your job. To test everything. And, and you listen to music. And right now, music in our culture, and I, I'm just going to take a side trip. This, this culture of praise and worship to find an emotional high and a spiritual boost is destructive. We have people going around our nation putting on worship services where they never mention the cross. They ask people, tens of thousands of people come to Christ, but they never mention the love of Christ means laying our lives down. So they have an emotional experience and everyone walks out affirmed again on their way to hell. This, this, uh, and those worship leaders are just as much, and many of the people, if you listen to some of the songs and the words, you should just turn them off and never listen to that artist again. It's that bogus. Because he seduces sin. This angel of light is Satan, and he comes that way to us. And he comes to us in, under Christian garb, under, whether it's a pastor, whether it's a, a priest, whether it's whatever it may be, or a worship leader, or someone. Again, so I guess I'm strong enough on that, I hope, that to warn you, Satan comes as an angel of light, whether it's a pastor or a worship leader. Don't get caught up. And if, when people come to worship, the big test, was it a good worship service? Is if they walk out feeling good. How about does God feel good when we walk out? That's what worship is. Worship, one of the definitions of the word means a movement to kiss. Is our worship, are we kissing God with our heart, our mind, our soul, and all we are? Or are we looking for a, a boost and a pump? Okay, there's, there's an opinion or two that can <laughs> irritate and agitate and right, right. divide. Well, I mean, it's, it, it, it is a big deal. It's a huge deal. Um, and, and again, to me, it's like when James talks about let not many become teachers. Yeah. Whew, that's a big deal. Um, but on the subject of worship and actual musical worship, and you were mentioning Satan, a lot of there's a lot of teaching out there that Satan was actually like the worship leader in heaven. He is was there, the worship. Yeah. Is, so where did where in the Bible does it say that for our folks? In the Bible. It, okay. <laughs> it's either going to be Isaiah 14 or Ezekiel 28. Is the okay. two is the two falls where where it talks about you know Satan's actually fall in heaven where he takes a third of the angels with mm -hmm. him. Okay. Um, okay. 
And let me see, there was something else that, that was actually going to kind of go along with that. Because um, you were talking about uh, music producing an emotional high, which it can. I mean, yeah. it should. Old, there should be emotion old, involved with oh, our yeah. love of God. Oh, yeah. I mean, good old fashioned hymns, like what I grew up on, for yeah. some reason, is like the instant they play, the tears start to flow. And I don't yeah. even know why that is. Don't. I haven't done it in a long time. <laughs> Three weeks ago, you did a message and cried. What are you no, talking no, no, about? No, no, Go I ahead. Never cry. mind. I won't bring I it up. I have no feelings. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, the, you know, the, the deception of the emotional aspect. Now, there is an emotional aspect to Christianity. I mean, God created emotions, right? Yeah. So, so there, that's there. It's a reality. But... Um, for, for a lot of us who maybe started in church as kids and went to youth groups, yep. um, there's a thing that we call a, a church camp high, yep. where the kids weren't smoking. It's just, you know, you've maybe gone to... You went to some racing no. camps. <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, you know, you go, you have an experience. Um, you know, so the question is, is, are all church camps, church camp highs, fake or could the holy spirit be moving within us to give us that emotional response to worship the king in my uh i, I read a book called my utmost for his highest which i strongly recommend everyone to read it's a daily devotional by oswald chambers uh today his talk was on discipleship uh discipleship is that jesus goes out and says go into all the world and make disciples of other people. A disciple is a learner. We're not going out for the camp high one-time experience of having feeling really good and putting your stick into the fire and your sins are gone or whatever things that they do at camp, which are all good, but there needs to be a discipleship thing going on at the same time. Just as we, right now, as we sit here, we have Sunday school going on upstairs teaching the kids. We, uh, uh, Nick and his crew is running one for the, uh, the middle school and the high school kids upstairs, teaching them about Christ, uh, discipling them, walking with them. That's the small groups. That's all the things we do. So it's, it's discipleship. There's nothing wrong with a camp experience, but if that's all it is, that's all it is. It's an emotional bump. And sadly, so many people say, Oh, I accepted Christ when I was 14, 10, 2, whatever. And uh, I've always been a Christian. And yet, they don't live that. And they'll talk about periods of decades of going into immorality and sin. It didn't take. Whatever it was. And so I always tell, you better update your card here. You can get vaccinated again. Uh, get a booster, whatever. Get Christ. Uh, leave that alone for now, but uh, that's the danger in our culture. 67% of the people think they're Christian because at some time they made a profession of faith or a prayer, get me out of this and I'll serve you forever. I did it. I was lying like a big dog and just went on with my life. But we look back and, oh, I'm a Christian. Or even worse yet, so many people were going into baptism. I was baptized when I was young. I'm good. It's an ongoing relationship. So uh, Christ lives in us, and I'm going to stop there. So, okay. um, But it's not all, I mean, it's not all, obviously, doom and gloom. 
I mean, because I, I had that a couple times, you know, um, going to church camp as a kid and then on a missions trip to Jamaica, which was rather nice <laughs> in high school, but had what I know now was a very real experience. But when I came home, it's like anything else. You know, when you're, when you're outside of your normal daily routine, it's real easy to constantly be focused on God and it's great. And then you come home and you got schoolwork or bills or this, that, or the other. And would you maybe put that in the category of like the four soil, you know, the cares and the riches of the world yeah. or things happen and there's no root. Yeah. And so it, yeah, if we, if we don't nurture it when we come home, it's going to die. Yeah. But maybe the seeds are still there and later on, boop, a flower. <laughs> what? <laughs> No, better, again, it's better than snots with teeth. That was that, last yeah, night. that was last night. Don't it. listen to the tape. She talked about <laughs> snot with teeth in it, and it's really ugly. Lord of uh, the Rings works, just so that you know. <laughs> this, this, there could be again. A lot of these are experiences at point. I had experiences when I was young, far from God, that that preconditioned me. But that's all. It was a preconditioning. It, it, whatever leads up. The main point that I that we talk about all the time. There is a moment. When the old self dies and we are truly born again, whatever proceeds to that point or whatever, it's a transformed life out of that. It is not business as usual. It's a living Christ inside of us that, that, that takes place in there. So, um, and that's the big deception that Satan is. Okay. So. Um, and just kind of on a quick side note, because someone had texted in the, the source of the statistics. Where do we get those numbers And from? I suggest everyone <clears throat> get George Barna. Uh, it's, you can put George Barna in your Google search engine, George Barna, and they will take you to the University of Arizona and click and start reading their stuff and sign up for their, 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 they come out about every three months with an update of the statistics that are taking place inside of our country. Christian statistics, very accurate, very established, uh, reputable source of information. And uh, it's very important that we be aware, if you're a parent, oh, please be aware, if you haven't understood the term syncretism go look it up syncretism is taking a little of this belief a little of that belief a little karma a little jesus a little this a little dr phil uh all of those things and you stuff them all together and it becomes your belief source uh hang like it says to the apostles' teachings. Don't take, we talked in Sunday school class this morning at, at uh, 9 o'clock. Shameless thing. Dion does a class. I do a class. Just, we get into it. We talk about doctrine today. So, again, I don't, that's all I can say okay. on that other than, yeah, be careful. Yeah, okay. Um, all right, so let's see, we got a few more minutes. And if you huh? can't find George Barna, you, you email me, bill at ccc-rc.org, and I will fire back yeah. links to you. Um, yeah, I think, yeah, because George Barna, Arizona Christian University work together. And those are phenomenal reports. Oh, my gosh. Um, okay. 
I'm going to kind of try to mush a couple together that are on the same, basically on the same um, subject. So, all right. Can a person who struggles with homosexuality still be a Christian if they are seeking out ways to avoid or fall into that temptation? Like a porn addiction, um, can homosexuality be something someone struggles with their entire lives even while truly loving and following Christ? That's not a softball. Mm-mm. Okay. Uh, this is, we live in a culture, and we talked about it last night probably too brutally, uh, that, that we as a nation have been seduced uh, by the philosophy of the rainbow and the theology of the rainbow. We have made a decision as a country to deny adenomical body evidence, the evidence in every DNA, and allowing children and adults at whatever age to decide their sexuality by their feelings. Now, God is very clear. We talk, if you read Psalms 139, he specifically makes each one of us in the womb. And when he creates us, our chromosomes, our, our chromosomes come together and we are defined in each cell, male or female. God makes us male or female. When we start denying the clear evidence that's put in front of us, what we're saying, and this is biblical, that the clay says to the potter, why did you make me this way? You're stupid. So to, and again, I, I know that this is harsh, and the people who struggle with gay temptations and, and, and uh, all of this, love them. God, love them. And it's a reality. It is a real temptation uh, sexual immorality is a strong drive inside of ourselves, but God gives the parameters for the expression of it. Here's the Psalms 139, where we're specifically made by God in a point in time. So now, and this is where it gets weird, so put your weird warning light on. And I've done this warning before, so I'll try and be quick with it. Uh, when we're born, there's a full range in any of uh, men, masculinity uh, uh, toward what we would say are feminine characteristics and masculine characteristics, the same things on the female side. There's this wide range. And some people uh, are more, uh, they, they, don't, they don't find those uh, manifestations. And if they're, uh, they can be targets for the homosexuals looking for someone who, oh, they can sway and change. Uh, some people have these desires inside of themselves, and uh, they're real. And, but the cure to it is you can be born with these, and I'll give you one other case in a minute, but you can be born with them. But now when you are born again, spiritually, there's a great effort, not a great effort, a reality that God will take our desires and make them godly desires. I encourage anyone who struggles in this area uh, to read the book, uh, The Confessions Secret, of an Unwilling... Secret Thoughts of an Unlikely Convert by Rosaria Butterfield, Champagne Butterfield. Okay. That's a lot of words. We have copies of the book. We'll be glad to loan it to you. It's about a, a, a very militant uh, lesbian coming to Christ because of the loving influence of 
of some elderly pastor and his wife. And, and now she, she became a, it's so funny. I just got to tell one story that's the funniest part. She drove a big jacked up truck with these big hunking tires and she had a butch haircut and everything else. And she would uh, drive to the coffee shop across from the church because she knew if she went in that parking lot, she'd be in big trouble. Uh, eventually, she became a follower of Christ. She, I don't know if she still has the truck. I know she got rid of the bumper stickers. But anyway, uh, her testimony is just the, of a transformed life. Uh, but to get back to the subject that was there that we're talking about, if you struggle, let us help. One of the big things, and this is big in our culture, is that uh, anyone who understands the formation of sexual roles knows that uh, early on in life, uh, uh, everyone is identified with their mom. And if as they grow up, they don't find a role, a, if males don't find a male role model to identify with, you, I can give you some books that have documented all of this. If they don't find a strong male role model, they'll never transfer that, their identity. They won't know who they are as a male in Christ. So challenging stuff. So, uh, and and at my experience in some, not, it's only limited to my experience, uh, knowing some family dynamics that produced uh, gay men, it was the mom who ruled, never had a father figure that could show him anything. So is it a tricky area? Yes, it is. Is Satan using it to destroy our country and lives? Yes. And families? Oh, absolutely. And as Christians, we are not to condemn and beat people up. We're to love them where they are if, and encourage a conversation in the context of relationship and a context of love. There are no greater sinner than you and I. Matter of fact, in, in, uh, it's in Galatians. It's in the Bible. Somewhere where Paul lists a, 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 a thieves and perjurers and this and that and homosexuals, and he's writing to the church, and he says, and so were some of you. But you've been sanctified. You've been set free. You've been delivered. So all of these sins, there's a new life that follows. Uh, is it a battle? Absolutely. But the current movement among Christianity is to embrace this feeling and saying, God will forgive you. It's okay. God will forgive a repentant heart. Absolutely. Absolutely. So uh, we'll be glad to share resources, books, meet, talk. Mm -hmm. It's a reality. It's a reality. And, and there is a right and there is a wrong. Uh, know the truth. Speak the truth uh, to other people in love. Oh, I can't stand when Christians come out and just flames coming out of them uh, against sin of any kind. Because literally, we're self-sinners. Come on, guys. Right. Okay. Um, so to kind of, um, we'll wrap up on this. First Corinthians 6.11 is, some of you once lived this way, but you were washed, sanctified, justified. And then also, the Paul in the New Testament, many times, it's Ephesians 4 and 2 Corinthians 5, where he talks about the old life versus the new life. We are a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. 
but he's pretty specific about putting off the old. Like it, it's an active thing. It's a choice that we do. And part, you know, it seems like a lot of, you know, what you were talking about and this subject as well as other subjects of areas of sin that people may struggle with temptation is that it's so feelings oriented. And so, you know, it's like we've known the, the slogan for years, if it feels good, do it. And that's totally not what God says. <laughs> um, but, you know, that will, will a person who has given their life to Christ, who has had any sin, I'm just going to say any sin. It doesn't have to be the sin, you know, it doesn't have to be sexual sin. It could be, you know, addiction or whatever. Are we still going to have temptations? But still be a, uh, can be still be a faithfully obedient Christ follower. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Corinthians will tell you that there's no temptation that's overtaken anybody, and that's the full gamut. There's no temptation that's overtaken anybody that's not common to all of us. All of us are tempted. Uh, financial sin, sexual sin, relational sin, uh, works. All the sins that are there, we're all tempted. But listen to the rest. But our God is faithful. He will never allow anyone to be tempted beyond what they are able. But with whatever the temptation is, he will always provide a way of escape that we might be able to endure it. Will enduring, what does enduring mean? Enduring means that we know God's word, we speak God's word, we live God's word. But we're going to go through these temptations. They're going to come at us. I don't care what it is for depression, for anger, for uh, sexual sins, any of those things, they're going to come at us. We find a way of escape that God's given us. And uh, again, we're here to help in any of those situations. Mm -hmm. Okay, cool. <sighs> now, <We're t> <laughs> can I do the I'm disclaimer? Tired. Tired? Yes. Can I do the disclaimer mm -hmm. as we close? Uh, we have answered questions. You have questions. Uh, first and foremost, uh, Dion, not as much as I, we're sinners, <laughs> and, and, and we do our very best to present Christ and to do it in a loving way, but we talk about hard topics because Jesus talked about hard topics. Don't, don't, you know, he did go right to us and talk about our heart and our total love. So uh, we're trying to speak in love. Uh, if we can help anyone please call. We'll glad to sit down, meet, or anything else with you uh, in any way or context. Uh, as we go into baptism, very important, so much we talked about is a real biblical relationship with Christ. Uh, understand what that is, because that's the big deception of our culture and our age as we're at it. Mm -hmm. uh, again, anything we can do, there's free books, free, take it all. Go into Dion's office, take everything she's got. <laughs> I, I do have a couple of the books of uh, the secret thoughts of an unlikely convert too, if you if you're interested. Um, yeah. Cool. Okay. So yes, we're gonna and you know the amazing like I said last night the amazing thing about Ask It is the hour is the fastest hour in history because on our just, side I, right? we don't know about you, <laughs> you guys. guys. Be, it just goes by fast. Um, a couple things we did not we there's far too many good questions for us to answer. Um, so we still have a whole lot of good questions to be answered. So we will continue to work through them like on Saturday night service, every Saturday night service after service is over, we have um, open floor question time. So we'll continue to tackle these. And on that note, would you please join me in prayer? Holy Father, 
thank you, thank you, thank you that we can ask questions and we can ask hard questions um, because you do have the answers. And I know that some of us still have so much rolling around in our minds, but we can um, bring them to you. And uh, thank you that you will uh, give us those answers. And, and even if it's something that we're just still kind of wrestling with, that you will continue to show us um, your path and your way and help us to understand um, and to be able to help others who have questions as well. Because we do live in trying times, Lord, and there seems um, sometimes it just doesn't make sense. But you make sense, and we thank you for that. Um, thank you for each person here. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.